I'm so pumped. I'm like, I'm up 10 pounds. Now that's how pumped I am. <laughs> it's the pumps. It's, it's not the so cheeseburgers. Pumped. Yeah. It's the pumps. <laughs>
The excellent specialized care she got at All in Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. Plus, uh, plus side, if you ever want to go all rocky on a couple sides of beef, just breaking ribs, mm. mom's got you covered, and then you get a great beef bolognese afterward. Which and, is nice. And someone that tells you she loves you. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It feels great. All in Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All in Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. Meet us in the club. It's going down. It's going or rather, down. Already, <laughs> I yes, I do. We get you turned, Mike. Uh, or rather, <laughs> it really went down. It already went down. The, yeah. uh, the move. So, oh, I, a couple of things have already went down. We're reviewing what took place here. I forgot to add. To, we're going to start with this, Mike, because I forgot to add this to the outline. But I noticed uh, a trade has gone down in the last 48 hours for the Royals. The The Royals traded pitching prospect David Sandlin to the Boston Red Sox for right-handed reliever John Schreiber. Is it Schreiber? I think it's or Schreiber? Schreiber. I think okay. it's Schreiber. Might be Schreiber. Um, a guy who has three years of control left. He's 30 years old, I think. He He's had be, one yeah. breakout season in 2022 but hasn't really done much else as a reliever in the major leagues. Mike, real quick, before we get into what is actually written on the outline, <laughs> gotcha. what do you think about this Schreiber deal? Is it, I'm, I'm, I'm I think it's trouble. Schreiber. Schreiber. Okay. Schreiber. Um, what do you think about the Schreiber deal? It's a little bit interesting to me because I know there's a lot of people who are, especially people like us who follow Royals baseball very closely and follow the minor leagues very closely, who were sad to see David Sandlin go because David Sandlin has some promise. There's some potential there to become a major league starter. I know there's a few people who really think that his role will be as a reliever in major league baseball, but it definitely, there's one thing you can't deny. Schreiber does still boost this bullpen. Yes. He's only had one year that was kind of off the charts last year though, was a, he didn't pitch a lot of innings, but he, he was solid. You know, it's not like, you have to worry about this. And really, if you look back at the things, what happened was prior to 2022, he had been a forcing fastball first pitcher. After 2021, he changed it up and started throwing his forcing fastball a lot less, a lot less than his slider even. And so he became a slider first reliever in 2022 and started throwing his sinker a bit more and his four seamer a bit less and had tremendous results from that in 2022. I'm talking about a whip under one. I think his ERA was like 2.22 or something. A fantastic year that year. Now, last year didn't have quite the same success, but was still that slider first kind of guy. Um, the problem was he just walked a few too many guys, than, than a lot more than what he was used to. He about doubled his walk rate last year, by the way, almost. And so, uh, yeah, I think if that walk rate comes back down, you're talking about a guy who's a solid, solid piece to your bullpen. But the thing that gets me is the Royers are so thin at starting pitching pro you know, with starting pitching prospects and Salen was one of the few that you had that you liked and, and or that I liked anyway. And so that hurts quite a bit, but you're getting somebody with who has controllability and at least a small track record of major league success. So I get it. Yeah. These things can, these two separate things can be true. 
John Schreiber will contribute to the Royals bullpen in a positive way, probably, right? And this trade was not a value win, right? Like David Sandlin, in my mind, as a prospect, has more value than John Schreiber does. Okay, three years of John Schreiber? Than three years of John Schreiber, yeah. Yeah, six years of David Sandlin, who... David Sandlin has the potential to be a starter, right? And so whether or not he's a one or a five, a five starter is more valuable than a reliever. Like that's just unequivocally true because unless that reliever is like an elite reliever, because a starter is going to throw so many more innings. And so six years of David Sandlin in my mind is more valuable than three years of John Schreiber. Because remember, we don't know what John Schreiber is necessarily going to be in those three years either. Like he could continue to get hurt. He could be much less effective. Bullpen guys are notoriously volatile. And so there's a chance that Schreiber doesn't contribute more than one win for the next three years to the Royals. Right. And that Sandlin goes on and produces many wins for another team. Right. Like there's a good chance in my mind that this was a value loss as a trade. So I'm not a huge fan of it, but I do recognize and, and know that it is also true that John Schreiber will probably make the Royals at least slightly better in 2024. That is probably true. Okay. In my mind though, you don't make value loss trades, especially if you're a 106 loss team, like you don't take a chance that you're taking a long-term value loss to get John Schreiber, a guy who ostensibly is just there to put you over the top. We don't know if the Royals are even close to competing. And so why go get a middle, a middle reliever? Like it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially too, because they could have waited on this trade until mid season and then got a middle reliever for David Sandlin. Like either one of those, like that would have been fine. Then then we would have known that they were in competition at least and that they could have actually used that middle reliever. And so I'm not really sure why this trade was done in this moment. I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I see what you're saying. I think they just continued to do what we've said they've been doing all off season. And they saw a bullpen that still lacked, that was still going to include some guys who maybe don't throw strikes as much as they should. Maybe, you know, maybe have had serious uh, volatility within seasons. Like, Hey, they're great one week and terrible in the next. And they said, Shriver, we know what we're getting with Shriver. We know exactly what he's going to be. Uh, no, but you don't, they don't know exactly, but he doesn't know. Like he doesn't throw strikes as much as he should, right? He had a 12.3% walk rate last okay, year. Okay. But like, that's kind of the anomaly. Go back and look at his whole season. It's usually around 7%. Right. And so and, and that, they may be saying, OK, anomaly. we can get him to throw more strikes and and he's going to come back. And even even last year with throwing that many strikes, what was his ZRA? Three point eight, nine or so or so. Where would that have put him in the Royals bullpen last year? Probably number one or one two, or two, or three, one or two. Um, right. But, but so he also just only just replaced innings last year. Yeah. So. But you just replaced a guy who with, you know, you imagine you just took out a, you know, Stephen Cruz. Who, don't get me wrong, I think Stephen Cruz has, is going to have the ability to, it may probably will even pitch in the Royals bullpen this year, but is he ready to be every day making the opening day roster kind of guy? I don't think that he is. I think with Schreiber, they feel like they have a guy that's going to going to be more consistent and reliable throughout a year than what they had in almost anybody last year. And so that's why I think they make the Schreiber move. And we don't know. Maybe the Royals don't view David Sandlin the way that, the way that uh, we do, you know, maybe they're going, maybe they're saying we don't think he's ever going to master the control problems he had in college or, you know, I don't know who knows. That's nearly a certainty. If he viewed David Sandler, if they viewed David Sandler as highly as I do, they would not have traded him. Right. Because I see tremendous potential in him either as 
a, a middle of rotation starter and maybe his floor is a mid mid reliever, right? Like, and so, you know, but that's why, I mean, your, your thoughts on this trade do heavily depend on how, how much you think potential you think David Sandlin has, where you rank him in terms of his prospect viability. A lot of it depends on that, but it's even the people I know who are lowest, even the prospects ranking lists who are lowest on David Sandlin say that he's a top 20 prospect in the Royal system. And in my mind, you just don't t- trade top 20 prospects for middle relievers who are volatile themselves and uncertain when you don't know whether or not you're going to be competing. Like you wait, if you want to do that, fine. I could, I could maybe understand it in July when they're, you know, within two or three games of, of, you know, the division or something like that. Fine. I cannot understand it right now, honestly. We're going to move on to talk about something else, something that we actually prepared to talk about. That was right off the cuff. And I think we did pretty good, right? Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're talking about the the big news since the last time we had an episode. The big thing everybody wanted to talk about. The Royals put out a bunch of PR about it. No, I'm not talking about downtown stadium stuff. We're going to avoid that for this for this episode. We're talking about the Bobby Witt Jr. extension, right? We still haven't talked about that on this, ep- on this podcast because we haven't done a, an episode in like a month. Um, this is a move everybody was rating for this offseason. It happened back on February 6th. It's sort of an 11-year, $288 million deal, but there are a bunch of options. There's an additional three-year club option at the end. So who knows? He could play here for seven years. He could play here for 14 years based on this deal, technically. Some of these are very unlikely, right? The idea that he's going to play here for 14 years on this contract is very unlikely to me. But anyway, this is old news at this point, but Mike... We want to get your two cents. What do you think of this uh, of this deal, Bobby Wood Jr. extension for the Royals and for him? Well, first off, for those of you who tuned in for some downtown stadium news, I think we actually are going to talk about it a little later in this episode, if oh, I maybe. remember right from reading the outline. Mark Mark forgets things, so I'll, I'll remind you. Um, my initial thought is is that like psychologically for the fan base, I think it's kind of huge because there's still a huge section of the fan base, probably. I mean, a very large section of the fan base who thinks of the Royals as, oh, well, as soon as we get guys that are young, that are good, we trade them away. We'll never pay a superstar to stay. Now, despite the fact that there's been some evidence that we will in Salvador Perez and, you know, we tried to sign Eric Hosmer to a long term deal when he left. Um, you know, thank we, God he didn't things. take it. <laughs> yeah, he did not. Yeah. Thank God he didn't take it. That was nice. Um, but I do think that it, it does help a little bit psychologically for those fans, because this is a young player with the potential to be a superstar that we paid. We went out there and said, Hey, we're going to pay you despite the fact that, I mean, let's be honest. He's got half of a season of superstardom under his belt. Mm -hmm. That's really it. And so we, I mean, you and I thought before that and still think to this, that he has, he's going to be a superstar, but you're still gambling a little bit here. The, the team is still gambling a little bit with a contract like this, especially for a team, you know, the, a smaller market team. So, you know, the way that the structure structured and all that stuff is very important, but I think Royals ownership has shown this offseason that they will spend a little bit. Now, the really big question will be once they get what they want in a downtown stadium is that still going to happen? But I do think it does help and excite a fan base that is a little bit cynical about keeping young superstars. I think what this shows us more than anything is the Royals have now shown us what type of team, what type of organization they're going to be. And so they are not going to be a raise model of organization because the raise would not make this deal. Right. 
the Rays would not pay a player like Bobby Witt Jr., who's not going to take significantly less than market value. They'll give a long-term deal to a guy like Wander Franco. Big mistake, it looks like at this point. But (laughs) they'll give give a a long-term deal to him because he's likely to take less than market value because he's a Latin American player. He doesn't come from wealth, all that sort of stuff, right? And so they can give a guy like Wander Franco a long-term deal. They're not going to do deals with guys like Bobby Witt Jr. who are going to basically demand market value for whatever they're length of they're willing to take. And so they're not going to be a raise type of team. They've sort of shown us that it looks more like they're trying to be in the middle of that. And like what Texas is right. Which is like, we're going to spend in free agency. We're going to do all this stuff. They're going to try and develop, do a lot of developing of their own players, but they're not going to be afraid to make their team on the backs of reclamation project, major leaguers signing some free agents and that sort of thing. Or at the very least they're waiting for their player development. And they think that signing Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Signing Bobby Wood Jr. Signing Waka, signing Lugo has in some way uh, lengthened their timeline to get that player development back on track. Now I will say maybe they'll also be a team that's willing to sign a few stars like Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe they'll, give a contract to Vinny if Vinny's willing to do it or, or Michael Garcia, if he's willing to go under market value or something, and then they're going to fill with player development around him, which is also not a race thing, right? The Rays are highly transactional. They won't even hold on to guys into arbitration. They don't want to spend the money, right? Like, and so they're not going for that model. They're going for something that's maybe a little less extreme than that model. Yeah. And like the, the big thing for me is the, all these free agent signings that we saw this off season, that may have been the strategy for refilling a minor league system with, with talent and then seeing how your player development is able to do with the players that you brought in to develop, you know? And so I think that's why a lot, I mean, a lot of these guys I think are on one or two year deals because they are trying to prove something to make a little bit more money next year or the year after that. But it also kind of fits for the Royals and saying, Hey, a lot of these guys are on one or two year deals in the next one or two years. When we trade them, we're going to be restocking this minor league system along with the guys that we draft. And we'll know, we'll know that they're the players and the traits that we wanted in those players. And so yeah. I think that's going to be very important moving forward. But as far as the deal goes, I think, I think it's really good for a fan base that kind of wants to re-sign young stars. Right. This one is made for the casual fan in some, I mean, every fan wants it. Basically. I'm the only one who's kind of ambivalent towards it. I don't really care what model the Royals choose to be successful as long as they do it well. Like, and I acknowledge that like signing stars to long-term deals in my mind is not the bedrock or foundation of building a sustainable winner. And so like, I, you know, I take it or leave it in my mind, like great. It's great because I love watching Bobby play and all that sort of stuff, but I don't, I'm not going to fool myself into thinking that having one superstar makes you a playoff team. We know that it doesn't, right? Like we yeah. know that that's not the case. Hello, and so, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. <laughs> yeah. We know that if, if, if so, the Angels would have a bucket full of rings from the Mike <laughs> Trout era. Okay. But they don't because they don't make it to the playoffs very often. I think he made it once in his whole, uh, his whole tenure, his whole career. And so we know that that's not going to be the thing that makes them make the playoffs, but it's also not going to be the thing that probably keeps them from the playoffs. Probably. I don't know. But like, you know, what I'm saying is the contract, it's fine. It's whatever. But a lot of fans, it's going to be a psychological booster. I think you're right about that, right? Especially both diehards and casuals. And mm-hmm. so you love those kinds of deals. Mike, let's talk about the player options a little bit. Witt Jr. has the opportunity to leave after the 2020 or after the 2030 season. What function do you think these options serve both for him and for the organization? 
I loved that question because I, I think it's probably the most obvious thing in the world. And before I even read the details of the contract, I was like, well, this has to be happening. <laughs> there has to be something in the middle of this thing. Um, let's be honest. It's the options that allowed the deal to get done. That's, that's the only way you sign a Bobby Witt Jr. to a contract like this if you're the Kansas City Royals. You have to put those those player options there in the middle for him to opt out because if you don't, He's not tying himself to a city for 11 years when in a few he can cash in for a huge deal. And so what you know putting in those player options allows him to get out and still get another large large contract in his career and it allows the Royals to keep him a little bit past his arbitration years. You know it gives him one or two years after what I think his arbitration years would have been uh, already. And so it sets the amount for the Royals so they know. If if Bobby Witt Jr. goes out and does this year what he did at the end of last year, it's actually a very good deal money-wise for the Royals in those arbitration years because Bobby Witt Jr. would have been making a boatload of money in those years. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does make some sense on both sides. And I think you're going to talk a little bit about what it does as far as the trade window because that, that becomes very important as you get closer to that first opt-out year it's going to be very enticing for the Royals to, to try and trade a Bobby Witt Jr. if they aren't winning games. Right. So the obvious answer of what these player options do is they give Bobby Witt Jr. an out if the Royals aren't winning, right? And so if the Royals aren't still aren't winning five years down the road, he could start looking at that seventh year and being like, all right, I'm out of here after 2030, okay? And then instead of getting one mega deal when he could have hit free agency when he was, what, 25, 26, 27, he'll get two very large deals, one with the Royals that encompass like sort of his arbitration and the early parts of free agency and one with the next team that'll en- encompass the last couple of years of his prime and as he sort of declines. Those will be two huge deals instead of the one mega deal, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so what the Royals have done for themselves is they've said, we now have bought essentially three years of time to not have to think about trading him. If the Royals were going to not be able to sign him this offseason, they need to be thinking about trading him right now while he's super valuable. He's got so many years of control left and so on. Now they can wait three or four years and say like, okay, we'll wait till he's got maybe two and a half, two years at the fewest left on this contract. And if it looks like he's not going to, if it looks like he's going to opt out after the 2030 season, then we need to trade him right now, right? If we don't have another extension or if we haven't restructured this deal in some way or renegotiated a new contract with him at this point, then we got to trade him. They'll have that date in their mind. That's like, this is when we're pulling the cord. If we haven't created a new deal for him, I don't expect this deal to go the distance at all, at all. There's, and you and you don't want it to. If you're a Royals no. fan, you really don't want it to because no. if that happens, if it goes the deal, Bobby Witt Jr. has not performed how we expect him to if it goes the mm-hmm. distance. Because if he, he performs like we expect him to, he's going to opt out and go cash in again, which he should. Good for him. Um, but yeah, you don't, want, you don't want Bobby Witt Jr. to play out the entire length of this contract because it probably means the Royals aren't winning very much. <laughs> it does. And it, well, it probably means his value is in the toilet. Like It yeah. probably means that he has been, something has happened and he is just no longer that valuable because that's the only reason he would choose to stick around without a renegotiated deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you, it, best case scenario for this deal, Bobby Wood Jr. goes gangbusters, the Royals start winning, they renegotiate a few years in advance to sort of 
keep a, a different deal. They're going to be paying him a boatload, but that's to fine. Make, to make him right? like a, a legend of a legendary him, Kansas City Royal, a George Brett. Le- yes, exactly. A Salvi, exactly. Those types of exactly. Yeah. That's the best case scenario. Anyway, there was one other piece of huge news for the Royals since we last had an episode. The team finally chose a site for their proposed new ballpark. They put out renderings and all the other public relations stuff that usually accompanies these sorts of announcements. Mike, what are your thoughts on all of the stuff that came out related to the new ballpark since we last uh, spoke? Yeah, I, I enjoyed looking at that stuff. I always love those things. You know, it's I think it's fun and interesting to dream about some of those things. Uh, I guess we can kind of start from this. You and I have been fans of the idea of a downtown ballpark for a, a very long time. We were for the downtown ballpark way back when they were deciding if they wanted to revamp Kaufman and Arrowhead and do all that stuff. I loved, I love that the, they're kind of trying to connect it with that park that's kind of being planned over 670. Now, I don't think mm-hmm. the city of Kansas City has approval on that yet. I don't think that's a done deal yet either, but um, that would be really cool. I think that is a cool experience. The connection over the, like the bridge, connect, walking bridge over the 670 to connect to uh, the T-Mobile Center and Power and Light. I think that's pretty cool. The fact that you're kind of hitting the, that power and light area and the northern part of the crossroads, I think that's really cool. But I think what a lot of this does is it just goes to highlight how kind of botched and backwards they did all this stuff. <laughs> you know, this we should have been seeing all this a year ago. This should have been a year ago. And then it, between then and April coming up here is when we should have been getting the community agreement, the community benefits agreement and the you know, the construction delays and the displaced businesses and all that sort of stuff. Like, what are you going to do for those businesses that are now going to be displaced? Are you going to do something for them? Like, I'm not talking about the people who own the buildings. They're going to get compensated greatly. I'm talking about the ones that the the businesses that currently occupy and rent those business spaces, some of which have been in Kansas City for a very long time. Um, What are you going to do for those that are very popular places? And so they should have been, they should have been done so long ago. You know, what's great for the Royals though? The Kansas or the, the freaking Oakland A's. Yeah. The the Oakland A's have done such a terrible job of their relocation thing that n- nobody's pointing and laughing at the Royals right now on the, on the national baseball circuit anyway, some, some locally, but the A's have botched it so bad. The Royals look great in comparison. So well, no, no. Okay. So here's the thing, right? Like, one of the best things to ever happen to the Kansas City Royals was when Frank White messed up the tax assessment thing. Oh, yeah. Right? That was because <laughs> Because he was an easy villain scapegoat. Everybody already hated him when he was like, no, we should have all these things already in place before we put it on the ballot. And so then fans went against him. The thing got on the ballot before the Royals ever had to produce any of this stuff. That's a huge win for them. They're like, we don't need to produce a, com- a community benefits agreement. We don't need to pr- produce realistic economic outlooks and things like that. Like, we don't need to produce renderings even before we do. We don't have to even choose a site. And we got it on the ballot. <laughs> like, that's nuts to me. Right? That is crazy. You cannot draw up a dream scenario better for the Royals than we got this thing on the ballot despite putting no information forward. Right? Crazy to me. Right? Like, yeah. but without happened. making without making a commitment to anything. <laughs> No, no, but it happened. Yeah. They got it. And so it's like, okay, that's where we are now. Like I I'm like I'm with you. I'm a big fan of downtown baseball. All these things are true for me. Like I want downtown baseball to happen. And I also think the Royals have not done a good job making with the, with this process. Neither has necessarily the, the county, but the Royals themselves are not doing a good job. They're running the Major League Baseball playbook of dishonesty related to this whole project. And I don't like that, right? But 
the, the renderings look beautiful. I love the bridge over 670. I love the, the idea that you could walk. I love the fact that the, the, the streetcar is going to be right there and you can just ride it in. And, and that's so much, that's so cool to me. The community building that will come with that is so cool to me. What I will give a, a word of caution to all of the people listening to this episode and all the people listening to the show. Do not believe a word of all the economic impact stuff. That is all complete bullshit. Every time a team tries to build a stadium, they make these huge economic promises. They never come through, right? All the research related to the economics of building publicly funded stadiums say that they do not come through, right? They are not economic benefits. They are social benefits. If you want if you want to believe in the new stadium, if you want downtown baseball, see it as a social benefit. Do not see it as an economic benefit because there's a really good chance that economically it will not be uh, the benefit that they're going to claim it's going to be. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Um, no, because I love money. Okay. I'm the Gordon Gecko of social studies teachers. Greed, greed is good, baby. Greed is good. <laughs> Securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nat Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nat Family Wealth is run by JC Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead. That's good. Education planning so you kids learn to read good. That's also good. Investment management so you get all that money from out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Go check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. Who's getting pumped? I'm getting pumped. Spring training has official. I'm so I'm so pumped. I'm like. I'm up 10 pounds. Now, that's how pumped I am. <laughs> it's the pump. It's not the so cheeseburgers. Pumped. Yeah. It's the pump. <laughs> Spring training has officially begun with pitchers and catchers reporting last week, and we've been getting some scant video of pitchers fielding practice and other stuff. All the stuff you see coming out of spring training every year, which is just like a tiny little crumb, but which feels so good after. Yeah, after which, which when you haven't had baseball in so long, you're like, ooh, fielding oh. a ground ball. That is exciting. Just field a ground ball. Mm. Oh my gosh! Mm. Look at that! Look at that under underhand toss to uh, <laughs> to first base. That's it, boy. That is some good stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Royal Spring Training games kick off on Friday, February twenty third. That's in five days from when we're recording today. Uh, with the game against Complex Roomies and defending World Series champs, the Texas Rangers. Mike, I'm interested in hearing about what you're keeping your eyes on during spring training. Uh, to start with, I'm keeping my eyes on uh, the second tier starting pitchers. And, and I kind of the loose group that that is Daniel Lynch, Jonathan Bolin, Alec Marsh, uh, Veneciano, Zerpa and Sauer. Those are those are kind of the bunch I'm looking at as I expect one or several of them to get at least a handful of starts in uh, Major League Baseball at some point this year. Also, you know, there is a sneaky chance that one of them could sneak into the back end of the rotation. I think the likelihood is very small, but uh, there is a uh, possible opportunity. And then if one of those guys in Waka and Lugo, or even possibly a Brady Singer, gets traded at the deadline, one of these guys may have to step up. If one of these guys is performing well in spring training and then AAA, it might be a little easier to move on from a Brady Singer, a Michael Waka, a Seth Lugo, um, if needed. I, I don't think you're going to be able to dump Lyles' contract, but um, I think... 
I do think there's an opportunity that some of these, several of these guys get a chance to make starts this year. And I want to see if they step up because the long-term health of our pitching rotation isn't going out and buying mid-tier free agents. So, yeah, you got you got to develop the pipeline, and these guys got to take the next step, or they're just really not viable major league pitchers. Um, and so, hopefully, they can do it. Uh, their starting uh, or their pitching development has seemed to improve uh, last year, so hopefully, they can get them over the line. Uh, I'll be looking at the hitters that we need to emerge for the Royals to be successful. Uh, in my mind, that's uh, MJ Melendez. Kyle Isbell and Michael Garcia. I think those three, you could add Michael Massey to that mix if you'd like, but I think those three are like a significant uh, linchpins, I guess, to whether or not the Royals offense will be successful enough to win games. And so we know MJ Melendez had a hot second half. So did Kyle Isbell pretty much. Garcia, we've seen some good things from in winter ball. Looks like he might be lofting the ball a little bit more, tapping into that raw power. If all that stuff happens, if those guys are what they were in the second half and, and Garcia is lofting the ball more, look out. This could be a top 15 offense with Vinny Pascantino back. Maybe if everybody hits on their potential top 10 offense, but those guys have to be what they were in the second half, what they were in September, that sort of thing. Or we're talking right back to the inconsistent at bats, the terrible, you know, swinging at everything, the high strikeout rates and all that sort of stuff. Mike, is there anything else you're looking for in spring training? I'm really going to be looking at Brady Singer to see what has changed. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've heard him talk uh, briefly about um, possibly, you know, four-seamer and adding, you know, con continuing to throw a four-seamer a little bit more, I guess, uh, not just leaning on his two-seamer and then his slider quite a bit or having, maybe having two different sliders, um, which he's mentioned. That, that's not exactly what I want to hear because I want to hear that he's working on his changeup or some sort of pitch to, to really get left-handed hitters out. But um, I want to see it. I want to see what the changes are. I, I don't really listen to the talk of players all that much because a lot of times they don't really want to give up any information. So I want to see what it looks like in spring training, see if he's made adjustments, see where his velocity is. Because we know last year when it dipped, he, he got in trouble quite a bit. So I'll be really looking forward to see what uh, Brady Singer is early on in spring training. Yeah, uh, the Singer thing, man. Well, I, I I heard him say like, oh, I've also been working on a sweeper. And so like, and I have a, I'll have a slider and a sweeper maybe. But what's going to get lefties out? What's yeah. going away? What's going into that quadrant for it's you, not, arm side? What's going it's into not the like his slider quadrant? was ever his problem. Your slider's already good. You already have a good slider. Like that's, that's uh, probably the thing you can hang your hat on the most. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, if the velocity comes back, if he develops one more pitch that he gives hitters even a little bit of a different look, that's not a bad, you know, outcome. That's not, that's not taking a step back for Singer. It's taking a step, a sl slight step forward, which is good. Um, I'll be, I'll be keeping my eyes on another pitcher, Cole Reagans, to see will it carry over? Will those twelve starts that he ended the season with, where he was dominant, will that carry over into twenty twenty four? Some good, some good reports out of sort of his off season training and so forth. That's great. Uh, I'm interested to see what the fastball looks like. Can he hold the velocity? I'm interested to see if he's willing to lean on the slider a little bit more because it had so much success last year. And then of course his changeup is always dominant. And then what's the command look like? You know, that's what I'm, if, that's what I'm is he commanding about. the ball? Is he not walking enough, enough guys and that sort of thing. So Reagan's is like a key piece. Like this whole rotation doesn't make much sense unless Reagan's continues to be what he was when he came to the Royals. If it's Reagan's and Waka and Lugo, that's a pretty decent first three. If it's Waka Lugo and then Reagan's turns into a pumpkin each that makes it a lot harder. And so I'll be looking a lot at Cole Reagan's to see what he's got. 
Mike, one more thing. Give me one more thing that you're looking for in spring training. Nelson Velasquez's ability to murder baseballs. We didn't get to see Those him during spring are, that's training always, last year. That's always fun to watch. Yeah, he was with the Cubs during spring training last year. So I want to see him hit a ball to New Mexico. <laughs> you know, So I'm really hoping he does that when we're down there. Um, but it's just going to be interesting. Can Nelson Velasquez continue to, to feast on fastballs? And can he continue to hit the hit the ball out the other way? Be a little bit more patient. Uh, he, I don't think he'll ever be a like a high high walk guy, but enough so that pitchers have to throw him a fastball, and he can destroy them. That's that's what I want to see. Now I want to see him improve on hitting breaking stuff too, because I think he's going to see a lot of it. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see what Nelson Velasquez brings. If he is what he was at the end of last year, like Cole Reagans. It's a steal. I mean, it's a free, it's it's robbery if he is as good as he was at the end of last year. Yeah, Velasco is another guy who had a really good winter league season this year. A guy who looks like he might be elevating a little bit. I put out a tweet thread a while back that showed sort of the way he was approaching a baseball differently a little bit during winter league. And so hopefully we can see that uh, from him. And yeah, if he's putting baseballs out, he's continuing anything. If it's only 75% of what he was, at least in the power department, if it's only 75% of what he was at the end of last year, he's still an amazingly valuable player and a steal for Jose Guas. Uh, I'm talking, I'm looking at finally at the young bullpen arms. Uh, even w- this is even more relevant with the trade for John Schreiber. Uh, there's one less spot in that bullpen now. So the question is, who gets that spot? I know we're thinking MacArthur and McMillan have the, the uh, I guess, advantage or have the lead. Uh, inside track. The inside track. Thank you for that language. Um, I'm very tired because I stayed up very late last night. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, MacArthur and McMillan seem to have the inside track, but remember that they're going to want a long reliever in there. Right. So Zerpa maybe has a, a look there. They're going to need some more lefties than they have. Zerpa is a lefty. Cl- uh, Ch- uh, Chamberlain is a lefty. You know, that sort of thing. Matt Sauer, they're probably going to want to keep on the in the bullpen because he's a rule five pick. They don't want to have to send him back. So MacArthur and McMillan, while they look like they had a ton of promise last year, they have options. Schreiber has options. You know, I'm looking at these young guys to see one, who's going to fill those last few spots and two, who's the next guy up when one of these bullpen guys inevitably goes down or when uh, you know somebody's ineffective or something like that or just gets tired and needs to be rotated out. The young bullpen arms, are to me, are a pretty interesting uh, th- thing to pay attention to in spring training. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Eric Oksher of West USA Realty. Phoenix has all of our favorite things, year-round golf, year-round baseball, and Eric Oksher of West USA Realty. Whether you want to buy your dream retirement home or just stay a while and catch spring training, Eric can help you find the perfect house for you. We've known him for 30 years and trust him far more than we even trust each other. Mark whoopee cushioned me once in fourth grade. I was trauma- I've been traumatized ever since. Every time I sit down, I have to take a look. <laughs> Eric does long-term rentals for the Snowbird crowd and home sales and purchases for those who want to stay a while longer. Are you a baseball player or parent who needs a place in Phoenix area? Quick. Eric can find you the perfect place fast. Want to spend your days shanking golf balls into the great beyond? Eric knows the golf scene like Mike knows disappointing his wife. Well, she's locked in now. There's no turning back. So I got her. (laughs) I got her. It's over. Uh, Find Eric online at ericoxer.com. If you can figure out how to spell his name, it's a tough one. E-R-I-C-K-A-U-X-I-E-R.com. 
or just shoot them a text message. That's easier at 480-383-9745. That's 480-383-9745. Even if you're just curious about what he can do for you, he's 100% no pressure, one of the best people we know, and he's got a scholar's knowledge of the 90s dramedy, Ally McBeal. Clarissa Fuckhart fan club, yo! Oh, I love that show. <laughs> With spring training games about to start, there will be a few guys out there trying to prove they deserve a spot on the opening day roster. I'm talking position battles, y'all. There are a number of positions already locked, but as always, a few remain up in the air. Mike, what positions do you see as up in the air to some degree? Um, well, we just talked about kind of the last couple spots in the bullpen. Um, second base, I think, is the big one that everybody wants to talk about. And then the crowded outfield. Who's going to be who's going to be the guy that takes the bulk of the at-bats in probably right field? And then who's that fourth guy going to be? Possibly a fifth guy. Do they keep a fifth guy? The sneaky possibility is the one I brought up earlier. Is there a small chance that somebody pitches their way into that fifth rotation spot during spring training? A Daniel Lynch or an Alec Marsh or a Veneciano, somebody like that, a John, Jonathan Bolin. Uh, and then they move Lyles to like a long relief kind of role in the bullpen. I think it's less likely with, with Sauer there, but it's it's at least somewhat of an interesting option. Does somebody try and force their hand during spring training? Yeah, I, I know it's a fan dream to get Lyles out of the rotation, but I, I just don't see that happening. I, I think I think Lyles will pick, pitch fine during spring training, and I don't think they want to look at spring training stats and performance as like a predictor. And so to start the year, at least, I think Lyles is winning that fifth starter spot. I had the same positions as you as the battle. Everybody sort of knows what positions are up for grabs. Let's start with second base. It feels like the only position spot that might be up for grabs. The team has expressed confidence in Michael Massey. I think they see him as the starter right now. But what does that battle look like to you, Mike? <laughs> How do you put this? Their words say we're confident in Michael Massey. Their actions say uh, we not might not be so confident in Michael Massey <laughs> because <laughs> they brought in Adam Frazier. They brought in Garrett Hampson, two guys who play a lot of second base. Adam Frazier almost exclusively plays second base now. And so, yeah, I, it, I think, I think it's Massey's job to lose. He has the potential. He's got, you know, pop, pop from the left side. He, he can hit, he plays a very solid second base defense, but I don't think the leash will be very long. If he doesn't show the ability to swing less, He's got to swing less. He swings at way too many pitches and especially pitches that are outside of the zone or in bad hitting areas with, within the zone. And so, yeah, he really needs to uh, pick it up. I think, I think he'll be the starter coming out, but he's got to be looking at Adam Frazier behind him. He has to, I mean, that, that has to be the case. Yeah. Not just Frazier. I don't think, I think, I think if Massey's got like a 90% chance of keeping the starting base job, but if he has an abysmal spring, and Nick Lofton shows out, I think there's a chance they roll with a Frazier-Lofton second base rotation instead because Lofton a right-handed hitter, Frazier a left-handed hitter. They seem to sort of match up in a very easy platoon. And so I think there's a decent chance that that happens if Massey is just really terrible. And by terrible, I don't mean like his numbers are terrible. Like, I mean, he's having terrible plate appearances. He's like swinging out of his shoes, swinging at a bunch of stuff that's not in the strike zone, not in his hitting zone, all that sort of stuff then I think they'll say, hey, you're going to spend some time in AAA to start the year, and we're going to roll with uh, Lofton and and uh, Frazier in a rotation for a while. Um, it looks like Melendez, Velasquez, and Isbell and Renfro are locks in the outfield, but Mike, what do you think about a fifth outfielder? Will they carry one? Who's vying for that spot? 
you know, what's up in the air in my mind. Yeah, that is that's a tough one because you have a guy in Dyron Blanco who added value to your team from that fourth outfielder spot last year, and he's there, and he's not young, <laughs> and so you know if he's going to give you value, you have to have him in Major League Baseball. Whether that's you know stolen base value, outfield value, you know the the bunting thing that he, bunting stuff he was doing last year, you know he really just added to the team. Then you also have Drew Waters, who played a lot of outfield for you last year. You probably can't carry both of those guys because you have Garrett Hampson and you have um, Hunter Renfro and Nelson Velasquez, who are likely to get some outfield time when they're not DHing. And so it's it's really really tough. I think they do carry a fifth outfielder. I really do because I don't think they want to do that. I think more likely is that they decide to really only go with one extra infielder and then let Garrett Hampson play that kind of super role where he plays some outfield, some infield, and you use Nick Lofton. You t- send Nick Lofton down probably and leave Adam Frazier and Michael Massey as kind of whoever's not starting as your extra guy in the infield and use Michael Garcia's versatility and Garrett Hampson's versatility to move guys around if you need to. Yeah, the infield is just as crowded as the outfield. It's weird. Like, now it is, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, and so you know Frazier's going to make the team. So he's one backup infielder. You're confident, I think, that Garrett Hampson will make the team. You don't pay him so if there's another backup pay him infielder. If not, well, they have done that in the past. They've given guys $2 million contracts and then cut them before, you know, they, they needed to pay them or whatever. But I think those guys make the team. And so the fifth outfielder question is a tough one. To me, the fifth outfielder thing makes sense because you why have guys like Hampson and, you know, Garcia and stuff like that and Lofton on your team if you're not going to utilize their versatility? And utilizing their versatility means you can have a fifth outfielder, right? You can have a fifth outfielder who's just going to do little things for you, steal you bases in a pinch, all that sort of stuff. If you have a guy like Garrett Hampson, if you have a guy like Michael Garcia who can play second, third and short, you know, that sort of thing, or Nick Lofton who can play first, third and second, you know, like that versatility should allow them to have a fifth outfielder. And if they do, I think Blanco would be it because he's the guy who adds the bunting value, the base stealing value, the defensive value and all that sort of thing. And so I would, if I had to predict or I had to say fifth outfielder makes sense, it's Dyron Blanco. Now's the hardest part, Mike. We got to talk about the bullpen and how that might shape out. You got to figure Will Smith, Chris Stratton, Nick Anderson, and John Schreiber are locks at this point. Yep, that's four. No reason. Yeah, that's four. No reason to bring them in if they aren't. Matt Sauer isn't a lock, I don't think, but he'll be given every chance to stick, as will maybe James MacArthur. I'm not sure on him. Uh, that leaves two to three spots. Two to three. Mm-hmm. We're doing hand stuff right now. If you can't see, if you're if you're listening to this, we're trying to count on our fingers and toes here. Uh, <laughs> Mike, how does that battle shape out? Who's getting those last two to three spots? It's complicated, man. It's super complicated, and but that's a good thing, you know. Uh, what they like to Travis Kelsey or or Chris Jones, one of them says, you know, pressure is a privilege. Uh, having to make this kind of decision is a privilege that the Royals haven't really had in the last couple of years you've got a more talented bullpen and those decisions for those last couple of spots are going to be harder than they have been in the past because you've brought so much talent into this bullpen. Now I'm not saying it's high end talent or anything like that, but it's definitely raised that floor of the bullpen. Like we've talked about previously. Um, I think the decision breaks down to, I think Zerpa is going to get one of the last spots. And I think Hernandez is 
Carlos Hernandez will. I think McMillan probably starts in AAA. And here's why I give the nod to Zerpa and Hernandez over McMillan. I don't know that McMillan has proven yet that he can consistently throw strikes enough that as much as they want them to. Now, Carlos Hernandez has had problems with that as well, but I do give the nod to him because he's got a little bit longer of a track record in Major League Baseball. So that's why I'm giving the nod to Zerpa and Hernandez, but it is completely conceivable. And McMillan has options, obviously. I think just about all these younger guys in the bullpen still have options, but um, I think it's easier to send down a John McMillan who has a very small track record in Major League Baseball and say, we're going to see what Carlos Hernandez has. I think Zerpa gets in more of a, He's left-handed and can pitch multiple innings. And so I think that's kind of his his role. Matt Sauer, I think I see more as the, like the long guy, if you want to think in a more traditional sense like that. But I don't think it's unlikely to see Zerpa pitch the fifth and sixth inning of a start where Lyles only goes four or anybody, only, you know, maybe Cole Reagan's somebody who gets their pitch count high, especially early in the season. Zerpa comes in, he pitches you two or three innings. Uh, so I think they're going to lean on him a little bit more. And then as the year goes on and guys' pitch counts go up, Maybe he starts to be more of a, we bring him in the seventh because uh, we got two lefties coming up in that inning and he's left-handed. So, you know, I think that gives Zerpa a little bit of an advantage there. I think you kind of hinted at it, but like, I think what you're going to see as the season goes is a ton of rotation. Yeah. Because all of these guys have options. And so like Zerpa has options. McMillan has options. MacArthur has options. Schreiber has options. Like all these guys have options. The only one who really can't be set down is, uh, you know, maybe Will Smith. Will Smith can't be set down. He's like a hundred. Chris Stratton. <laughs> he's like a hundred. Like Chris Stratton, maybe not. Maybe not Nick Anderson. But is Matt Sauer because he you can't send him down because he's got to stay on the twenty six man. But a lot of these guys have options, and so you're going to see a big time rotation, and a lot of it will depend on potential matchups. I think you will even see something along the lines of like, oh, we're going into a series with a team that has a, t- a bunch of lefties or a team that doesn't handle velocity well or whatever, if it's a bunch of lefties, let's get Zerpa up here. If it's a bunch of people, a, b- a bunch of guys who don't handle velocity well, let's get McMillan up here. Like they're going to play matchups, I think, to that degree to where they're just shuttling dudes back and forth between Omaha and Kansas City, right? And so that's probably their best option, honestly, because if you have depth, lean into the depth. If you have guys with options, lean into the options. Like, that makes way more sense than, you know, here's our eight guys. We're going to try and ride them out all year. That's not a thing for them. And so, you know, if I had to predict, I think Zerpa's going to make it. I would not be shocked if Hernandez doesn't and McMillan does, right? I think MacArthur will make it. I think McMillan I might make it. If that happens. And then I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Hernandez goes down. Just because, I, you know, I've always had my doubts about Hernandez because of how much he relies on his velocity. But we'll see. We'll see on that. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with the Just A Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, it's been a while since we had an episode. We're back at it. What, what's interesting to you? Uh, I, I'm doing a shout out. I'm doing a shout out for my Just A Bit Outside. I want to shout out to a little, I don't know, it's not that little, to a, a, a local big drinking establishment in Overland Park called Fox and Hound. Now, they don't advertise with us. They're not you know, they don't pay us or anything, but Mark and I went there last night. They can if they want to though. (laughs) Uh, Mark and I uh, went there last night, a friend of ours birthday uh, after some top golf and just had a freaking awesome time. Like when we got there, there was not very many people there. By the time we left, it was crowded and so many people were having fun playing pool. Mark was playing ping pong. 
you know. Correction. Mark correction. Was, <laughs> Mark was destroying ping pong. Right. Mike, Mark was laying waste to a ping pong, you know, dynasty. He was creating Context. dynasties with his ping pong. Context. Everybody was he was playing against had been drinking since 10, and Mark... Mark doesn't drink. <laughs> so he's beating a bunch of dudes who can barely stand up, let alone see a ping pong ball. They don't ask how. They ask how many, my friend. And the answer was like 11 games in a row. And so 11 and 0 for me. And you, you know and what Matt was really surprisingly good? Destroyed. Their pizza was surprisingly good. Their pizza was good. I liked it. I had a burger there, too, that was just perfect bar burger kind of stuff. It was yeah. really good. I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, so I, I was really happy. Shout out to Fox and Hound, a great place. Uh, and the people there were all super nice. Like, uh not not just the employees and stuff, but the the other bar patrons were were just nice people. Yeah. You know, when you play ping pong in a crowded place, a lot of times other people are gonna have to pick up a ball for you. They're gonna hit with a ping pong ball, stuff like that. Everybody was really cool, and so uh, yeah, it was fun to see really that nice. that crowd. It was a younger crowd than what we are, definitely, uh, <laughs> but it was really cool. It was a, it was a fun time. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Big big fan of of, of that. I had a great time yesterday. Uh, I'm talking about something, of course, a little bit more uh, cerebral, I guess, than Mike is. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I hate to point back to it, obviously, uh, but there was a tragedy in Kansas City uh, last week, and uh, you know, a mass shooting that occurred at the Chiefs' uh, cele- or per- Super Bowl celebration parade. And uh, in the wake of that, I felt compelled to, you know, put out some ideas about, you know actions people could take and the things that matter in these moments and things like that and how this problem gets fixed and why it's so difficult to fix and all those sorts of things. And, uh, there were some people who responded to me with ideas I've heard before and it's perfectly fine to disagree with me. That's fine. People do it all the time. Um, but what's weird about those ideas is I hear them and I've heard them in other places as well. And it makes me wonder like, how did all these people like get on the same page with their talking points? Like how did, how how does the general public, all have the same talking points around certain issues. And that got me thinking like, well, it's because those, those talking points come from somewhere else, right? Like there, there's like in mass communications term, they're called opinion leaders, right? They're people who sort of disseminate opinions to other people. And then that language gets picked up by those people and sort of reverberated people. So someone teaches them how to use that language and that talking point, right? Happens all the time. And sometimes I wonder if people know where they got these talking points and where these ideas came from. I think they've sometimes internalized them to the point where it's like, oh, I don't even think that, about it. I that's don't even my idea. <laughs> I think I came up with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a genius. <laughs> like, uh, you know, and I get that, right? Like, it's tough sometimes. But what I want to encourage everyone, whether we're talking about serious issues like gun control or dumb issues like the Royals, you know, like, <laughs> which isn't an issue at all. Like, uh, whether we're talking about any of those things, it's really, really important to interrogate where your own thoughts come from. Like, and so I'm just asking all weekly weirdos, all people listening to this question, anytime you have a thought about something, especially if it's about something serious, if it's about something where like life and death is at stakes or money and power or whatever is at stake, ask yourself these two questions. They're huge questions. Where did that idea come from? Because they all come from somewhere, right? Like all of our ideas come from somewhere. So where did this idea come from? And most importantly, who does it serve? Okay. Who benefits from me having this idea, right? If you ask yourself that question, oddly, you'll find that those two answers are often the same, right? Where the idea comes from is the same as who, who it serves, right? A lot of times. They put out something a lot of times, a lot of times it'll be like, oh, 
this serves this person. And yet somehow they also put that idea out there, right? Like, and so shocker. I won't talk about <laughs> shocker, right? Shocker. If you have stake in the game, you're going to put out some ideas that benefit you, right? Like, uh, and so what I want to say is like, there's a reason for that. Okay. Now I try to interrogate the ideas that I have, especially around certain important issues. Right. And I hope that I can tell myself that those ideas don't wholly come from people who are being like well served by them, right? Like I hope I'm critical of the people who put out stuff that just serves them, right? And so please interrogate your own thinking. Think about whose ideas benefit or the ideas that you have, who do they benefit? And hopefully we can take a little bit more critical look and develop some more thinking, some different types of thinking around the most important issues we face. And for some reason, I just hit the microphone, so it's probably going to sound weird, but that's okay. <laughs> We're getting back to it. I do have a programming note. We are back, by the way. We are back weekly. We are back twice a week. We're going to come out with a midweek episode for all Substack subscribers this Thursday. Subscribe so to the Substack, baby. Weekly, subscribe to that Substack. You're going to get an episode on Thursday. There's some free stuff out on our Substack right now. I'll be putting out a bunch of stuff on social media about it. A couple of free articles, few free articles, few paid articles. Go ahead and subscribe to that. You'll get all of it. But we're back weekly with the weekly episodes. We're ready to take on spring training. Let's get going. I'm pumped. Mike, are you pumped? I am so pumped. I am swolled. I am thick. I am ready to go. (laughs) All right, good. So until next time, be good to each other. And go Royals.